everybody. Welcome into the back room. I'm Andy Ostroy. We have an exciting uh, guest today, Katie Hill, former congresswoman. But we're going to just uh, take a minute and thank you for tuning in. We appreciate you listening, and we'd love to hear your comments. So email us at backroomandy at gmail.com, and we'll read a few next time. So Katie Hill is a former congresswoman from California's 25th district. At 31, she was one of the youngest members of the historic freshman class that flipped the House and served, and she also served as the vice chair for the House Oversight and Reform Committee and on the powerful House Armed Services Committee. Prior, Katie worked as an executive director of PATH, which is People Assisting the Homeless, the largest homeless services organization in California. She resigned from Congress in 2019 over an admitted affair with a young female campaign staffer and over leaked nude photos. In 2020, she founded the PAC Her Time, whose mission is to help elect women and young people, the long-shot candidates who have the vision and drive needed to make lasting systemic change in America. She's also the author of the 2020 book, she will rise, becoming a warrior in the battle for true equality. Katie, welcome to the back room. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. So let's start just for contextual purposes. And I don't want to dwell on it because I know you've spoken about it a million times and probably tired of hearing yourself talk about it. But the scandal, uh, I know you've embraced yes. that word over the last few years. Yeah, what else can you say? You know? it, it is what it is. Um, although you did say, and this is a quote from somewhere, it was a smear campaign built around cyber exploitation. So I'll just sort of summarize real quickly, but I also want your take on it. You were in Congress, I think, for about a year, and you admitted to having an affair with a, a much younger female staffer uh, on the campaign, not when you were actually a congressperson. And then there were some leaked nude photos that came out. And I think you were in the middle of a divorce with your ex-husband. And um, there's a whole story there in terms of the interaction between the two of you. And you've accused him of, of really being behind it, as well as GOP operatives being behind it to take you down in a way, in a very vengeful yeah. way. Yeah, that's the gist of it. I would say that the, you know, a couple of other important things to, to know is that the photos came out after my ex had uh, had threatened, you know, to to destroy me, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, it, like I said, it was, you know, it was uh, just a couple of months after I had left him. It was also the first person who kind of broke the story, or who said that the photos existed, was actually the chair at that point of the local Republican Party, mm -hmm. and then the. the quote unquote journalist who published the piece on a right wing blog that published the photos had at one point been the campaign manager for one of my Republican opponents. Mm -hmm. So it was very clearly coming from that wing. And and so I think I, I just think that it's important to note. And then I I, I sued, uh, you know, under a statute that is part of California law saying that you can't publish, you know, nude photos of people without their consent. But it was ruled by the judge that First Amendment protections, you know, kind of uh, usurp that mm -hmm. law. So that mm -hmm. the law around, uh, you know, that protects people from revenge porn basically doesn't apply to public figures. And I think that there's a real problem with that because there's no solid definition for what a public figure is. Um, and legal experts have said that this is this is a, this is something that's going to continue to come up in my cases has shown, you know, real gaps in our ability to, you know, to, to provide protection for people from, from this kind of thing happening to, you know, millions of women across the country. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of, but and it's, it can happen to men too. I mean, mm -hmm. I should, I, 
say that it does happen to men. It's just it's just a lot more common happening to women. It just seems bonkers that regardless of whether one is a public figure or not, uh, nude photos without your express authorization to be released should not be okay. Yeah, and it's a problem that's getting even worse. I'm actually I've been involved in in a group that's you know it's becoming a global coalition to fight to to fight cyber exploitation and intimate image abuse, and it's become even worse because of deep fakes and uh, and you know there's there's really so much that can happen. At Pornhub has been there's a lot of lawsuits with Pornhub because people have had uh, had basically revenge porn you know posted. And millions and millions of people have downloaded and viewed uh, this, you know, this horrible stuff that is, you know, for for um, for years has destroyed people's lives. And uh, it's just it's just really, really problematic. And one of the things that I'm working on is trying to get a federal law passed to actually address this. And we do, nothing's on the books. We've got state laws. But one of the problems that I had was uh, in dealing with my case is that. I was in Washington, D.C. when it happened, but the people who committed the act were in California. So in, the prosecutors in California had, you know, issues with it. The prosecutors in D.C. had issues with it. And there's not a federal statute that um, that addresses it. So we're trying to pass something called the S.H.I.E.L.D. Act, which would make it a federal crime. But we have not been successful yet, even though we were very close last year. And so it's bipartisan. It's something that, that does have support uh, across the aisle. But it just, you know, there's one thing or another that has stopped it from from actually making it through. And it's it's just one of those examples of legislation that is wildly popular and supportive and just doesn't happen. And it's really frustrating. Mm. The other surprising thing is that it is California, which is usually thought of as a progressive state, you know, when it comes to pot and abortion and women's rights and all kinds of, of social issues social justice issues, you would think that that state would have been one of the first states to protect someone like you in terms of the release of photos like that. Yeah, you would think so. And and it was an early state to pass this statute to criminalize, you know, cyber exploitation. But it that basically this one judge decided that it didn't apply to public figures or that this, you know, this First Amendment protection, you know, superseded the the other protection. Right. And I think that we, uh, we we had, you know, the opportunity to appeal. Mm -hmm. And I had several people say that on appeal, I might have succeeded, but I didn't have any more money right. to actually try to pursue that. Because the other thing is, uh, it's called anti-slap legislation. And that's basically to, it's meant to stop or pre or prevent people from suing, you know, journalists and uh, and media outlets, you know, basically just frivolous lawsuits that would try to prevent them from publishing things that they don't that that you know others don't want published right so that's the purpose for it but uh part of what the deterrent is is meant to do is that if you if you file a lawsuit and it's dismissed through this anti-slap statute it is uh you have to pay the the person who sues has to pay the legal fees of the entities that they sued. And so I was ordered to pay the legal fees for the Daily Mail and Red State and the others that I sued, which is, I mean, it ended up being hundreds of thousands of dollars. I didn't have that money. So I, I filed bankruptcy and I just 
few months ago had my my bankruptcy discharged. So it's been quite a journey, <laughs> and I feel like I'm I'm finally coming out the other side of it. And I do not feel like there was any kind of justice, and I feel like a really problematic precedent was set. But I do feel like the public sentiment came out kind of on my side. I I don't think that this is likely to happen to somebody else in the same way, I mm -hmm. guess. I didn't get a lot of defense when it was happening, right? Um, most of the people in, you know, my colleagues in the Democratic Party told me, you know, privately, don't resign. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you don't need to just wait it out, wait it out. But publicly, I, you know, there were only a handful that really stood up for me. I think that if this happened to somebody else again, that would be different. So, um, so and, you the, know, that the timing, I'm trying to remember as time goes so fast, it, with relation to yeah. Me Too, was yeah. your case like right before or like- Right after, it was- it was Right it after. Was, yep, so Me Too kind of like peak started in uh, while I was campaigning. 2017, 2018 mm. is when it really got going. And then, and actually that was, that was part of, I think the problem, problem, I guess there's a lot of problems, but uh, complication with my case is that I did have a relationship with somebody who worked for me. Now, you know, you mentioned that she was younger. She was a few years younger, but I was only 29 years old right. when I started running for Congress. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I, it was it wasn't a huge age difference. Like she was, you know, it, if she was in her early 20s, I was in my late 20s. Right. And it was it was something where like on a campaign, you know, you're not. It's it's not the same kind of employer employee relationship. Right. It was you know we were this this grassroots campaign mm -hmm. got close to each other, and you know things things happen and I think a lot of people can relate to that. Like you do get close to the people that you work to sometimes, and and affairs happen, relationships happen that you know are are not appropriate, but like it just it just does. And my I I think that. It was difficult because, you know, boundaries. I should I should have I should have had different boundaries. And I've been a, a boss and an employer for my most of my career mm -hmm. in much larger settings. And I've never, you know, I would I, I would never sleep with somebody who <laughs> who worked for me. But I think the, you know, the uh, the adrenaline of a campaign and and I and, and I'm not trying to excuse it. Mm -hmm. I've done a, a lot, a whole apology tour and. Uh, but I just I think that it's 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 a uh, I've had to kind of grapple with it and I I you know you ultimately have to find a way to live with yourself and and live with the choices that you made and the sure. mistakes you've made. But look, um, the truth is, you were a young, yeah, bisexual Democrat in Congress, yeah. and there were a lot of people that didn't like that hat trick. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so. Mm -hmm. That's not and even... I was rising in power. I was, you know, I was already on leadership. I was already, you know, elect an elected mm -hmm. member of the leadership team. Part of I was vice chair of oversight, mm -hmm. part of impeaching. Trump. And yeah, yeah. and I I was a target because of that. The other mm -hmm. thing is that, you know, AOC and the, the as they referred to them, I guess, I don't know if they still do because there's so many more young progressives that are in Congress now. But at the time, the squad, I was I was sort of. I wasn't quite part of that because I was I was in a purple district. I was in a district that once I left, went back to a Republican. It had always been with a Republican. It, you know, it was briefly held by a Democrat with me. And then it went back to a Republican. But 
I think one of the reasons that I was such a target is because they, you know, they knew no matter what they did to AOC or any of the other members of the squad, they weren't going to be able to get that seat back. They weren't going to be able to to get a Republican elected in one of those districts. But in mine, they could and they did. And I think that, it sh- you know, it shows you that these sort of smear tactics, they're willing to do anything to to win. And and we have to remember, you know, we're not. Right. Democrats, we don't do that kind of stuff. We don't play dirty in the same way. And I and I think that we I don't think we should. I'm not in any way advocating for us to, you know, to to approach politics in the same disgusting kind of way. But we do have to remember that they will. And well, it's uh, that whole like, do you show up at a gunfight with a knife? You may not want to, but if you want to survive, then you got to show up with a gun. You can't just pontificate about righteousness as you're getting shot to death. You know, we just don't, Democrats, we don't play that game. And Republicans know that. They know that they can do whatever the hell they want, no matter how dirty. And when the the Democrats take charge, they'll never play as dirty. It's a win-win for them. Yeah. And they, you know, I mean, you think about people like Matt Gates, right, who, and and I don't know why he wasn't charged. I I do know that federal prosecutors are extremely cautious about, Mm -hmm. you know, actually doing charges. And, but, you know, it, like he did he did all these horrible things there was ample there was just as much proof of that <laughs> and and you know they, nobody he didn't even get the slightest pressure to resign mm-hmm. there's no way well this is actually that. what i wanted to ask you because history provides context and perspective that we didn't have in 2019 or 20 so with people like Matt Gates with Lauren Boebert, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Trump admitting to grabbing pussies, all the shit that these guys do. Do you look back on that resignation? And you can answer why you resign. I don't want to take that away from you. But do you look back on that resignation and go, nope, shouldn't have done it. Shouldn't have done it. Not with what we accept today from the other side or what they accept today. I I definitely have my moments. I, I, I think that truthfully what why i resigned was because those that those images and you know when you when you think about image based sexual abuse and all like that whole epidemic of revenge porn and and cyber exploitation and all of it the number of people who are who become suicidal in the aftermath of it is really massive more than of victims are, are have have said that they're they've become suicidal afterwards and i was one of those mm-hmm. and you know especially uh, having having become so high profile having so many people see this right it's not just like i was i was a person that you know i i was i was quote unquote just a person that had this scene and and you know nobody really knew who i was except for friends and family which i don't want to minimize at all that's mm-hmm. that's devastating i know people who have literally changed their name and moved across the country and tried to, I mean, they've, they've, it's, it's ruined their lives. Mm -hmm. But for me, it was like, I couldn't, I, I genuinely didn't feel like I could go out and people, you know, and show my face in public without people seeing, or, you know, without knowing that people have seen this and, you know, seen the most embarrassing, known the most embarrassing parts of my life. And, and it, it, it truly just devastated me. And I, I didn't feel like I could go on, you know, doing my job. Um, so it was, it was very personal. And I, and Nancy Pelosi even called me twice when I, t- when I told her I was resigning and said, please don't resign. Mm-hmm. She was like, like, even if you just wait 
till the next election or or if you, you know, hold off until the end of the year or whatever, like, right. And, and I just, I couldn't see myself like going back to work and trying to, you know, go back to my district and face any of it. It just felt like, it just felt like too much. And, tr- and truthfully, I, I hid out. I really, I, I really hid out afterwards. And, and then, you know, on top of everything else, my brother died of fentanyl poisoning, um, just a couple of months after, after this, you know, this happened. And, and I have a lot of guilt about that because he relapsed with, you know, with drugs. And I, and I feel like what happened with me had something to do with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess I, so, so all that to say, like my, my choice to resign was, was personal as much as anything else or more than anything else. But I have several times looked back and, and, and thought like, if I could have stuck it out, I think I probably honestly could have gotten reelected. I think mm-hmm. I probably pushed through it and, and, you know. Well, the truth is. People ask the scandals. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's another scandal next week, the week mm-hmm. after, the week after. And the truth is, just like with Al Franken, like it would have blown over and right. good people right. left Congress. Good people left Congress and really bad people moved in, you know. And, yeah. Yeah. And, and I think on that side. They're going to keep coming. They're going to keep mm-hmm. sending worst people. So will you run again? Will you run again? I haven't written it off, but I, d- I had a I had a I had a baby. And that's one of the best things that, you know, I, well, it is the best thing that's ever happened mm-hmm. in my life. Congrats. And thank you. Uh, he's he's 15 months old now. And I honestly like I, I don't think that could have happened if I, you know, if I were still in Congress, just because, you know, I, I don't know that it would have been in the cards. Um and it was a surprise and an accident and <laughs> but but a beautiful thing and i i know and i support women who run for office with kids but it knowing the sacrifices and and the amount of work that it takes and you know the travel and the the amount of time that you have to spend away from home i just it's not something i want to do while he's little um you know i, I it's it is something that i think I would consider it again when he's a little bit older, but I, you know, I just, there's so much, like everything goes by so fast, you know, he's growing up so fast right now and I just don't want to miss anything. So I'm, I'm holding it off for now. I'm going to enjoy it while it lasts. And, and maybe in a few years I'll, I'll, uh, I'll consider it, but I haven't written it off, which is sometimes when I say that my, you know, my family thinks I'm crazy to even consider reentering politics after what happened. And, I guess I think I'm crazy too sometimes that I haven't just totally turned my back on all of it. But I truly believe that, you know, if we want to change things, it's the only way we can. Like, it, you hate hate it or not, it's really that's right. You know, you have to change policies and you have to get power to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so I, you know, you need to you need to have the right people to to. And, and I'm not saying that like I am <laughs> the answer, right? But I know. I, I know that we need to get people who 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 know what they're doing and who ha- who believe in the right things and who are going to prioritize the right things. And maybe I'm one of them. I mean, and, for the most part, if you take out the and I'm going to call it your personal life, because the truth is today, most people don't give a shit who someone sleeps with, who yeah. they have a child with. None of that. The three quarters of the country has way moved on and they don't care. Yeah. LGBTQ. We've all embraced it, and we all have people in our family who are queer and, and trans. And and so if you take that part out of your biography, you are the Democrats' dream candidate. 
Um, but it would be great to see you back at some point. I want to talk to you about her time. So this is what you did after, kind of right after you you left Congress. You created this pack called Her Time. Tell us about that. Yeah. So I I decided I needed. So I had raised money for my reelection, and I needed to do something with it. Um, so I turned it into a political action committee uh, that was basically to focus on electing and reelecting women, especially young women, uh, who who were going to prioritize policies that benefited young women. And I, uh, frankly, that became even more important as we, you know, saw, and and as I always feared with Roe being overturned. But the two elections after I left, we supported a, a number of congressional candidates. 2020, the 2020 cycle was rough. As you know, Democrats mm-hmm. did not perform as well as we should have. But the 2022 cycle, we we did pretty well. And all of our frontline candidates, except for one, were reelected, which I'm really proud of. And we, you know, we were able to help mobilize young women in districts across the country. And now, you know, we, we are raising money again. You know, we, we spent all the money to try and reelect people last time. And now we're we're raising again so that we can focus. I actually am hoping to to really focus on my former district because I think that it's honestly it's not a district that should be held by a Republican. Mm-hmm. It was won by Hillary and Biden. It was, you know, obviously I won it. I won it by eight points. It, it, it's 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 and it's even more Democratic now with redistricting than it was when I won. Mm-hmm. So it it should absolutely be held by a Democrat. And it's one of the most important districts for Democrats to win back the House next cycle or I mean, you know, next year. So I'm trying to figure out exactly what we're going to do to focus on that. But I, I I genuinely believe that young people and women are the reason that uh, that, you know, w- that Democrats are going to be able to win, you know, across the country and and in swing districts We're we're going to be focusing on on probably primarily that district, especially because, you know, I'm I'm still well known there. And 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 I think that I can have an impact in in helping mobilize. And it seems like it's such a perfect time to do that because of the Republican culture wars that are taking place, the the war on women. I mean, everybody is screaming, get out of my vagina. You know, like I scream it and I don't even have one. You know what I mean? So it's, <laughs> it's just like enough of this trans kitty litter in bathroom. It's oh like they've God. gone off the deep end. And I think the more we can do as a party on the grassroots level to get more women, young women, um, more people of color, women of color, yep. more representative of yeah, who we are we as a change, society. I believe that if we change the face of power in the face of politics, then we're going to be able to change, you know, what comes out of it. Right. And the, and and I, I think if you, you know, frankly, if you just have old white men in power, we're going to get the same policies that we've had for decades. And and we have to change that. So, you know, if you, if, you know, I'm not I'm not going to say that all women are great. Clearly, the right has has shown that that's mm-hmm. <laughs> that's not. the case. And not all old uh, white men are bad. Uh, right. That is very true. That is very true. I speak um, for the older white. We guy. have a lot of allies. <laughs> I don't know if you're quite old, but. Oh, thank um, you. I, I kind of fed you that hoping that's what you'd say. So I'm 63. So but, I'm... Yeah, no, but 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 absolutely like it's. Mm-hmm. But it it's truly representation does matter. It's not the only thing that matters, but it's it, it it's vitally important. And um, it, you know, I think that we have to have parity. I think that we should have if we, if women make up half the country, then they should make up half of Congress. Mm-hmm. And if you know, p- people of color make up 
whatever percentage they do, then that it just it, that's what it should look like. And we need to be able to invest in the areas because candidates his, don't have the same advantages, right? Like old white men are the ones that have the most money in our country and mm-hmm. they're able to pump money into their campaigns mm-hmm. and they're able you know, not work for a year or two while they run for Congress, which is a huge, huge barrier for right. for the regular people who who are the most valuable for us to be able to actually elect. Or they're not running, so, you know, taking care of a small child. Right. Right. Exactly. And 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 I think that that's a you know, those are those are all things that we have to address. They're not solutions. The solutions are not easy. They're not ones that are going to come, you know, not a single pack is going to be able to address them, but they're ones that people need to be aware of and working collectively toward. Yeah. So I, I you know, I, I think that we're moving in the right direction and you can see how, especially on the Democratic side, really, we we are seeing changes like we've, you know, the the, the people who are getting elected, you know, we had we have the first Gen Z person. Florida. Yeah. Uh, yes. Maxwell Frost. Yeah. Ma- Maxwell Frost. Yeah. So we had him elected. We've got, I mean, there's just, there's just, now I don't even remember all their names. I would love, I would love to see them and see so many more of them. Right. Like that's, it's just, it's incredible that that's what we're, that's what's actually happening. And I, to, I think that it's a real testament to the leadership, the former leadership on the Democratic side, like that Nancy Pelosi and Steny Hoyer stepped back and said, okay, we're, you know, we're giving, the opportunity to the next generation mm-hmm. of people to take the lead here because they didn't have to. They didn't. They would have. I can tell you right now, Nancy Pelosi, if she said, no, I, I want to stay in charge, like she she would have. It, it would have happened. And um, it, and and I think that it's it's pretty powerful to see that, you know, changing of the guard and and it's going to keep happening. So it's we, we have to we have to keep pushing for that. And I honestly believe that the. The Republican Party is going to become obsolete. It's the only I don't, I don't think they're going to be able to recover from this madness. I my hope is that young people, people of color, but in particular, young people, that if they are engaged and they vote, they can have everything yep. they want. We've seen the state of Michigan completely flip. We've seen what happened in Wisconsin. And it's going to be really interesting to see what happens in Tennessee. Yeah. You know, young people yeah. in Tennessee if you're so pissed off, which you should be, and you want change, all you got to do is vote. Because in this country right now, maybe 55% to somewhere between 55 and 60% of Democrats vote. Just think mm-hmm. of 70% voted. Just think oh of my God. 70% of young people voted. We can have it, everything we want as a party. Yep. yep. It's and that I've simple. Said that, that was, I mean, that's what I campaigned on was that it, that like if young, if, if young people and women vote and vote in the numbers that you know, can really have an impact, then everything changes. Truly, everything changes. And I think that we we're going to see that more and more. And I'm so, you know, it, it's horrible that it took so much tragedy to to mobilize mm-hmm. this generation. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, the school shootings and Roe v. Wade being overturned and, you know, everything like that. But I think that Gen Z is is they're the ones that are going to they're going to change this. Um and I and I'm I'm thrilled to kind of I I do feel like I was on the early end of you know I mean we were I was one of the youngest women ever elected and but I'm not going to be like that's not I'm not going to continue to hold that title mm-hmm. like they're going to be a lot more young women that are elected and I I think that we that's what we need to see and I'm really excited that that 
that's happening and it's going to continue to happen. And if I get elected again, I want to be one of the old ones. <laughs> well, one of our episodes that we taped that's up this week is with former Congresswoman Elizabeth Holtzman. And she okay. was the youngest woman ever elected to Congress when she was elected. And she held that title for like 42 years. And then she ran again in 2022. I mean, just in the last election. We talked about it and I asked her what, you know, what, what made you run again. She still had the same fire in the belly about all the issues that mattered then to her. Racism, yeah, were. Uh, women's rights. Congress needs people, regardless of age, but people who are engaged and can, more importantly, can engage the electorate. And to your point, someone like Hakeem Jeffries, House Minority Leader, if he and the party can really galvanize young people, young people of if young people of color in Tennessee vote oh like God. crazy. I mean, just think about what that's what can happen to that state. It's within our grasp. We have the power. Yep. You know, it's the one yep. day of the year where the janitor and the billionaire have the same exact power. And yep. so the more we can get rid of that mentality in people of like, oh, my vote doesn't count, blah, blah, blah. I think you're right. People, I think people and especially young people are starting to see that their vote really counts. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and I think that when you when you feel like you're part of a collective, right, when you're part of a movement, a movement for change, I, I do think that 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 matters. That makes mm -hmm. a difference. And I, I feel like that's kind of where we need to keep pushing. And mm -hmm. uh, and I'm yeah, I, I think it's happening. And I and I feel like it's it's out of necessity. You know, people are looking at the world and, you know, climate change and so many issues that are just like we if we don't do something now. What is going to happen? I'm looking. I'm looking at the future my my kids going to grow up into, and I'm like, we it's our it's our responsibility mm -hmm. to try and fix this, to try and do something. And I think that a lot of people are are feeling that way. Mm -hmm. Well, folks, if you want to hear more about Katie's life, her book "She Will Rise: Becoming a Warrior in the Battle for True Equality" can be had. Why don't you tell us where people can look for her time? Her time is uh, her-time.com. Mm -hmm. And you can subscribe to our email list. I know that emails are really annoying, but they do keep you apprised of all the different things that are going on and action alerts and you know petitions. And obviously, we, we're, we're asking for money, but small amounts make a huge difference, even if it's only a couple dollars whenever you can. It, we're, we're, our average donation, I think, is $8, which is the huge. The cost of a Twitter verification? Yeah, right, right. And right. Um, God, yeah, don't pay for that. <laughs> but the right has the money and they've got they've got the billionaires and they've also got like the scammers. They've got right. the grifters. And, right. and the, so we got to be able to fight back. Um, and it takes unfortunately, it takes money to be able to do that. It takes money to be able to communicate, to be on the airwaves, to do the ads, mm -hmm. to, uh, you know, to be on social media and and take. You know, one of the reasons that people don't vote is because they don't know the importance of, you know, their district. Like what one of the biggest motivators for people to to vote in our district was like, this is actually one of the most important districts to be able to flip the house. Like mm -hmm. they, when they were like, oh, this one actually matters, then they would show up and vote. And so letting people know and, and letting people know who their representative is and why they're bad. All of that is it, it takes communication and that's why it, it costs money. So. If you uh, you don't have to skip your latte, but if you if you think about the the cost of an upgrade of your latte and you and you kick a couple bucks in here and there, then it does make a difference. Yeah. Well, don't send the money to Elon Musk. Send it to Katie Hill. Katie, you've been <laughs> very generous. Doesn't come to me. Yeah. To be clear. <laughs> well, the pack, the pack. Yeah. <laughs> Katie is not Steve Bannon. It's not going to go in her pocket. 
I have a day job still working on uh, on homelessness, which was what I was doing before Congress, and I'm, I'm doing it again. So. Well, thanks for coming on. You've been very generous with your time. I hope you'll come back, and I do hope you'll run again someday. So thank you for thank coming you on. So much. Take care. Nice to talk to you. Likewise. Bye. That's episode 65. If you like what you've been hearing, and even if you don't, let us know. We appreciate the feedback. You can leave us a message at 845-307-7446, email us at backroomandy at gmail.com, or tweet to me at Andy Ostroy. And when you listen, please take a quick moment to rate and review. It's very helpful. I want to thank my co-producer, engineer, and editor, Maddie Rosenberg, associate producer, Jen Hamoud, Cricket Langell for our artwork, Andy Hollander for our kick-ass music, Patricia Wind and the Epicurean for the Backroom Studio, and a big thank you again to our guest, Katie Hill. So keep your eyes on Washington, Hollywood, and your own backyards, and we hope you'll join us again next time. Have a great week.